We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. My name is Joel Sked and we're continuing with the new format for Monday's show. I have taken over hosting duties from Craig this week, but don't worry, or do, we'll be hearing from Herr Fowler at some point, as well as two highbies, unfortunately. I know what you're all thinking, but Joel, the Premiership is not the same without Hart Midlovian, the Gorgie juggernaut, the heart and soul of Edinburgh, the big team. You're right, but there's still plenty to get our teeth into from the five games over the weekend. So let's see where we go first. First up, we have Craig Fowler. How's it going, Craig? I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. That's a pleasantries over. So let's get into the action. We are reviewing Kilmarnock against Celtic and also Hamilton against Ross County from Saturday. Which would you prefer to review first? Uh, let's start with Celtic. Why not? Okay, so Celtic dropped their first points of the season with the 1-1 draw at Kilmarnock. Ryan Christie's long-range free kick was um, equalised by Chris Burke penalty. So I'm trying to think where to start with first because there's, there's a lot of um, criticism of Celtic, a lot of plaudits for uh, Kabamba, but I think Kilmarnock as a whole deserve a lot of uh, credit, especially Alex Dyer, for the way that Kelly frustrated Celtic and largely looked very, very comfortable throughout. Yes, I mean, Kelly had a, a terrific shape for the majority of the game. I mean, if you look at the, I mean, what other really chances did Celtic have, like clear-cut opportunities throughout the entire match? I mean, they didn't really have any. They scored from a three-kick from about 30 yards that Danny Rogers, I think, certainly should have done a lot better with. And Kelly kind of, it's kind of like two ends of the spectrum when you watch like Hamilton last week and then you watch Kelly this week on 
that it's it, it takes a lot more to have your groups of players, your, your entire team, kind of defending as one uh, and, and doing so kind of competently. You can't just have everybody back. That just doesn't quite cut it with a team like Celtic who have you know, such speed of, move, speed of movement, such technique that if, if you're just kind of there, they, they will run rings around you. But Kelly, going back to, you know, Steve Clark's arrival, have been a, a terrific defensive side, always incredibly well coached and well organised in that side of the game. Doesn't always uh, mean that they're going to, you know, keep killing sheets. I think they struggled a little bit, bit more last season than in previous years, but then last season was a kind of, of term of upheaval. They maybe weren't too happy with their kind of defensive performance against Hibs in the opening game. Then again, I mean, with the exception of uh, the, the goalkeeping error, Boyle's goal, Hibs didn't really create an all lot as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this game, the, yeah, they were just they were just on it from start to finish. Real kind of concentration throughout. Real, not just individuals stepping up and making sure that they win their battles, but you can just see every time that, that Celtic move forward how little space there was for players to, to, to do their stuff. I mean, there's like a couple of Celtic players who I don't think played well, and had they played well, then, then this might have been a different game. But it was still, there was so much work Celtic had to do to try and pass their way through Kilmarnock that uh, wasn't work they had to do last week against Hamilton. No, because you talked about the game against Hibs for, for Kelly and maybe if they weren't too happy defensively. But obviously, Gary Dicker came back into the, the team and that is a, that was obviously a massive, massive boost. Uh, Shabola played pretty well. Actually, uh, doing him disservice. They played very well against Hibs. It allowed him to play a bit more forward. But with having that having that Dicker and kind of power access in the middle of the pitch just is kind of, uh, transformative for Kelly, especially in games like this. Yeah, and they've also, I mean, that's quite it's quite a solid base and also helps as well when you've got McCreaney in reserve who can kind of step in quite comfortably for either of those. Forgot about him. And it, Tishbola, yeah, I mean, maybe that's why he did play very well against Hibs, but it's also probably a reason why they weren't quite as defensively sound uh, without without Dicker in there. Uh, Tishbola's use of the ball at Easter Road was excellent and a fairly Really, a, a decent game against Celtic as well, but I think they, they are more strong defensively when it's when it's Dicker in power uh, rather than anybody else. You mentioned defensively, offensively, uh, playing that way with that eleven. I don't think they'll score too many goals because you've, there's always a concern that there's not a lot centrally. So a lot of responsibility yesterday fell on Kabamba's shoulders, and he very much took that on and and ran with it. So. He's been a positive addition. He's, he saw last season, I think, Brophy had his best return when he came in. How do you see Kelly going forward? Do you reckon it, they'll have to go 4 for 2 Or where do you think they're going to get goals or creativity from behind these two forwards? It's, it's still the major concern of their season, really, isn't it? I mean, T- Tish Bolo is probably going to have to step up because they don't really have much creativity going through the centre. We would discuss the three guys that are great as kind of sitting players, but that was kind of Kelly's major problem last season is that El McCreaney, for the fact that I quite liked him as a player, a lot of times he was kind of playing as the most advanced midfielder. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who's built his career on slide tackling. You know, unless he's slide tackling the ball into the back of the net, he's not going to really kind of do much on that end. The... Chris Burke's shown that he's still got it at the start of this season, despite the fact he's 36. You often wonder if he's going to fall off a cliff. It's clearly not going to happen this campaign. 
McKenzie, I thought had a decent first half against Celtic, but he's not exactly a great source of creativity. So I think they necessarily kind of will have to go four four two against a lot of teams, teams that they're expected to score goals against. But it's also clear to see that they have enough kind of balance in this team where they can, you know, against teams like Celtic, they can play with the two kind of, you can switch the formation, go a bit more defensive and then kind of rely on Kabamba to, to kind of rile the opposite team defenders. He obviously had a great game, overwhelming uh, vote for, for man of the match. I noticed in the Killy forum as well, I think he got something like 90% of the votes and easy to see why he gave uh, Julian a, a torrid time. And they just kind of need a bit more from that from him. I did wonder whether he was kind of doing it for the cameras a little bit, <laughs> even though there's nobody in the grounds and there's <laughs> like, like no Celtic fans and it's nothing like a killing Celtic game you'd ever imagine at Rugby Park. But he was quite, I was a bit disappointed by Kabamba against Hibs, but he was certainly back to his best uh, at the weekend. He is, it, it, his performance was exactly what you want for your forward, especially when you're playing one up front against the old firm. You need someone who can occupy both centre-backs. Again, you see the quality that both of those uh, players have on the ball, especially Ayer. But being able to, knowing that you've got a player you're able to just chuck the ball up to, and he, even if it's not accurate, he can still make it work, whether it's running in behind or running the channels or just be just being a nuisance I also what the, hell, what, what the hell is up with? I know we probably maybe don't want to move off a of Kelly just yet, but what the hell is up with Julian and when he comes up against a kind of was, a, a physical striker? I'm sure he's come up against physical strikers in Europe and looked no too bad, but whenever it's a Scottish one, he seems to shit his pads. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, two minutes in, he was getting nutmegged by Kabamba, and it was it was it was just so such amateurish defending that just running running straight to the ball, leaving your uh, legs wide open, even you're you're the last man. Watching, I was watching a bit of the game back and it struck me. Have you ever seen those videos of dogs wearing dog shoes? More dog shoes. Some shoes for dogs. So no, there's like I've, these I've seen, well, I've seen dogs be like put shoes on them, but I just thought it was like a, a laugh thing that owners did because then they walk funny when they do it. Yeah, so I mean, there is actual dog shoes, and when they've got on, it's like uh, they walk very funny. That's what Julian was like yeah, yesterday. <laughs> Dog owners are weird. Dog owners are weird, man. (laughs) Clean yourself. Yes, soon to be. Can't wait. (laughs) Going to be that guy on Instagram. Uh, Anyway, before we move on from Kelly, the one player I also wanted to speak about was Ross Millen. There was a suggestion. I knew you you were going to say that. (laughs) Certainly, when he first came to Kelly, there was okay. He was going to be a backup player, but obviously with Andy Millen on the coaching staff. I don't know if there was many noises about nepotism, but he came from quite low down in Scottish football to to join to yeah. join Kelly. I don't, I don't looked, think there was I don't think there was any kind of uh, like nep- noises of nepotism like in the mainstream. But I think Kelly mm-hmm. fans were at least kind of saying to themselves, "Oh, I wonder if we've just signed him because his dad's on the coaching staff." And I don't think they were necessarily that bothered because not only had Stephen O'Donnell, they knew mm-hmm. he was just going to play kind of as a backup. But as Craig Anderson said yesterday when we asked, I mean, is Millen the, the starting right back? And you didn't assume that coming into this season. The, the tempted Darren McGowan away for Hamilton, so you, you assumed he was going to be the one uh, filling O'Donnell's shoes. But as Craig said, Ross Millen's never really had a bad game for Kelly. No. And it, it, it's clear to see that he's a, a very good crosser of the ball. And, and we've already mentioned, this is a team that lacks a lot of creativity. So for somebody to be able to get forward and put good balls in for both Brophy and Kabamba, I mean, that can, that can help Kelly seriously this season because they do, as we've already talked about, they do lack 
some kind of ingenuity when they get to the final third. So somebody who can whip a ball as well as he can really make a difference. I was, again, watching it back, I was thinking, because it was, it was, the reason I asked Craig yesterday, because I'd been watching the Hibs-Killy game from last week, I'd watched that on Saturday, and it really struck me how useful Millen was as a crosser, and I think Hibs almost had to change formation just because of the joy the fullbacks were getting for, for Kelly, kind of getting up that, unopposed. That makes sense. I couldn't actually figure out why Hibs changed their formation because I think they actually got, even though they scored not long after through Boyle, I actually thought they got weaker in attack after that. I'm not sure it actually held them, helped them kind of control the game as much as they maybe would have wanted, but that does make sense because they did have that early chance, Killy, at the game mm-hmm. Easter Road where Millen whipped in a ball. And I think it was both Kilty and uh, Tishbola kind of had a chance at getting yeah. to it, but missed the ball completely. Yeah, so I, mean, I, that, I think that's why, why they changed, because, because the two uh, Kelly fullbacks were being able to get up and support and have free time on the ball. And you saw that at times against Celtic, where El Yunusi wouldn't be close to Millen. And teams are going to have to actually be aware of that, because what Millen has shown he can do, given space and time, is that he's a very good crosser from, from deep, whether it's like a static cross or he's, he's on the move. Yeah, he can, he can certainly get some whip on it. Um, yeah, El Yunusi, yeah, that's another one. Uh, we'll just get to slagging Celtic players now. <laughs> yes, that's. I'm just moving on to Celtic. Where, where do you want to start? We've done Julian, so... We can, we can start with El Yunusi in that he's really not looked up to much so far this season. Um, no, the noises, and, noises coming out of Celtic was uh, expected him to be a really big player this season. I think he even tipped him for a player the, play of the season, but... He was on the, I think he was on the periphery of the game against Hamilton, and he was just off off it completely yesterday. Yeah, he's a he's a funny one to kind of judge because I th- I'm not quite a big fan of him when he's at his best, but he does seem to be like one of those players that you just don't know what you're actually going to get from him at all. And so far this season, there's really not been much. I mean, to be fair, he was hardly the, the only Celtic attacker that was quite poor in this game. That's the kind of thing. That yes, I, I do want to give Kelly as much credit as possible, but Elianisi was pretty anonymous. Forrest was shit. Uh, Edward, I thought, was quite. Edward had one of those games that he used to kind of have in Europe when he first arrived for Celtic, where he would kind of his touch would be off a little bit, and he'd get his head down too often and not kind of be aware of his surroundings and just kind of continually take too long on the ball or run into trouble. He had one of those games, and they were just and they were so kind of. And they're built compared to what they were like last week when, yeah, I was a bit dafted basically almost anointing them champions already. I still think, to be fair, what I said still stands, I still think they're a better team than Rangers. But I, I have said before, not necessarily, you don't have to be the best team in, in Scottish football to win the, the title. Uh, out of Celtic and Rangers, you just have to be the most consistent. Mm. And Celtic have already shown that over two games, I mean, obviously a very tidy sample size, but they've not been consistent over two games. They were excellent against Hamilton. Um, great pace to the great urgency, great pace, great movement, great you know passing, one touch football, finishing everything. And this game was just like the complete opposite. They were, it was, yeah, it was like seeing like even like I think you and Taylor said on Twitter, obviously friend of the show, that even in the last like ten minutes or so, he wasn't even nervous at all. He just thought that there's no chance that Celtic are scoring here because they just looked like they had no idea what to really do. You mentioned it earlier on when we were talking about uh, Kelly about defensively and how Celtic have so much speed and movement. There was, yeah, there was absolutely none of that. There was no intensity. Uh, they were just very one-paced. And I know it's really hard against a, t- a team like Kilmarnock who defend the way they do. Because when 
you're Celtic and you go to Rugby Park or you face them at Celtic Park, you know the game's going to be played in Kelly's half. So your centre-backs are not going to be opposed in their own half when they've got the ball. They'll, they'll be allowed, Celtic will be allowed to come up to the halfway line and then that's where the game, that's where the game happens. So there, there's so very little space. So again, it comes down to moving the ball quickly and it comes back to Scott Brown. It's a yearly <laughs> thing. Is, uh, is, is this Scott Brown finished? We always write him off and he always comes back. But the, he wasn't that great against Hamilton. He was rubbish, rubbish against Kilmarnock. Sometimes I just think he gets in the way. The only, the only uh, moment of note was him siphoning down uh, Shibola where he uh, got, got a yellow card. I still think he done a couple of things on the defensive side that weren't too bad. So I wouldn't say he was kind of rotten on that end of the spectrum, even though he did get booked, as you mentioned. It was mainly kind of about him and, and procession and him moving further up the park. There was a very a very good thread on Twitter this morning by a user, I think, called Tuco James. Uh, Tuco spelled T-U-C-O. Mm-hmm. And he was basically kind of pointing out that the kind of decline in Brown, which is obviously going to happen because he is getting up in age, and the fact that he's basically been asked to do a job by Lennon, which almost kind of mirrors the job he was asked to be do, do by Ronnie Dyler, but he was looked upon as almost more of a number eight than number six. And I think at this stage of his career, Brown has to be sitting further back and be the one that, like he was under Rodgers, just kind of make sit, sit like almost the furthest back so the centre-backs can split a bit more, you get the team a bit more wide, it's, it's more about kind of keeping possession, and Brown was always very good at that. I always used to say it was like he had eyes in the, the back of his head. Like any time a forward seemed to close him down, he just seemed to know where they were, would roll off them and, and knock the ball to the other side. And now he's kind of having to do a game which is a bit more kind of up and down, a bit more you know vertical rather than horizontal. And at this point in his career, it's not really suiting him at all because he, he can't get about the pitch as much as he used to. Uh, he's never been much of a, a passer in terms of forward passing, and that means if he's asked to do more of those passes, he's given the ball away a bit more. And he had a few, he tried a few kind of long range ones on Sunday that were all pretty shit. And he also, what was the, what was the final point I was going to say? He, oh yeah, a, a number of times he would kind of be up in advanced areas, and he'd have a bit of space in which to maybe try something. And instead, all he do is give it to like a more talented teammate, like Forrest or Christie or McGregor. And it's like, you kind of, if you're Celtic in these games, you don't need Scott Brown that far up the field doing that. And I, don't, I, don't think, I, think, I don't think you need Scott Brown. Yeah, you might I mean, not need him. I, I wonder, that, like, if I was a Celtic so, fan, I would be concerned about Neil Lennon's loyalty. I think this, yeah, I, I still think they need him in Europe, though, because, and I think they need him in, in games where yeah. the opposing team has a bit more kind of attack and threat, because he's still the best defender of their midfield core. Mm. There's nobody else that really could do that job as him. They don't have, and that's probably poor on Celtic, they should have somebody in reserve that can do that job as well, considering I, Brown's age. I think, I think uh, by all accounts, Sorrow could be that guy, that guy. Right. If we ever get to see him. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in terms of Scottish football, I, would, I, I think I've said this for a while, that I think that Celtic, Celtic's best number six is Callum McGregor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, again, you go back to the way you play against Kelly, you play them in the half, so you need better passers of the ball to find those angles 
find those uh, those tight passes or be able to pass it longer to bypass certain players in the, in the Kelly team. So you bring in, in Cham, and Cham's also pretty good with running with the ball, so he can break break the line. So I just I think I think that is a concern for Celtic that they uh, they have a manager who is probably very very loyal to his captain. I understand Brown's influence kind of in the dressing room just as a personality will be absolutely massive, but. There comes a time where it has to be a balance between what he brings, kind of his persona, and also what he brings technically or as as an actual football player. Yeah, you can still kind of use him from the, especially this season. You can still use him from the bench. Yeah, like maybe just give him the last thirty minutes or so, where he still kind of has that drive and he still can get about the park because he, he used to have like great pace and he's you know obviously a very fit man as well. He's just kind of lost it a little bit, probably, you know, one or two steps. But you can still, he's not exactly, you know, very slow either. So maybe just, you know, manage him a bit better than playing him every single game. And most minutes of games as well. It's it's actually, despite the fact that he probably should have been off sooner, I'm still surprised to see him come off against Kelly. Just sticking with Celtic there and their their squad, I was just looking at the bench and there's... When I was watching the game, I was thinking, like, how could they have set up differently? How could they change it? Could they went played like a back three and had more players centrally, and that way tried to almost fall into Kamarnik's trap of playing through the centre, but then having the uh, the wings free to like have have El Yunusi or Forrest or uh, Fringpong out there and get space for those players, and then basically just have more bodies for the box for crosses or cutbacks. But then you think. Klamala, he's a very pacey striker. He's not going to be able to run in behind. Then behind that, there's not, there wasn't too much off the bench that, other than in, in, in Cham, there's yeah, the unused subs was Beaton, Soro, Robertson, and Dembele. Robertson, I think, is quite a creative player. Dembele is obviously an exciting player, but again, it's uh, a very hard game for them for them to come into. So, so that's. So that is, despite all this talent, I still, weirdly, I don't know if it's just because it's very reactionary. There's maybe one or two uh, options short depth-wise. Well, I saw Stevie Dinn, uh, Terrace contributor from time to time, kind of laughing at people saying that they missed Griffiths in this game. I think the movie kind of did for like the last 20 minutes or so. Um, the thing is, well, he's their best long-range shooter. The, 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 that's all they were doing was hitting long-range shots. He was, yeah, he's that's, the best. That's exactly, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that it was going to have to take something special to kind of, well, either take something special for Celtic to kind of really start clicking for, for them to unlock Kelly in terms of creating an actual clear-cut chance. And if you're looking at you know just one player coming off the bench to do that, it's probably not going to happen because it was like a team-wide malaise uh, on Sunday. But if you've got Griffiths, then he's the type of player that if you just somebody just gets free from you know inside twenty five yards, he's the one that you probably want taking that shot more than anybody else in the team. Even though there are you know a few players at Celtic who can who can hit long range efforts. Tom Rogic's another one who's done that. But what's his Celtic future all about? I always forget about him. I always forget about him. He's he. I think yeah. I mean. I've got my own thoughts on, on Rogic. Still probably won't go down with Celtic fans, but I, I think they should move move him on. I think the Celtic fans would probably agree with it at this point. Okay. He's not really been at his best since what two seasons ago, at least. We should we should probably move on to Aki's against County, but before we do, just uh, we have to touch on the goal from Christie. It was a fantastic strike, but Danny Rogers and Kilmarnock's goalkeepers are coming back to bite them square in the bot bot. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not too surprised, I have to say. I don't think that coming in... Uh, when, when Kelly signed Rodgers, I think it was quite clear that they... Well, in hindsight, yeah, at the time, I kind of thought it was a panic move because they just needed a goalkeeper for the start of the season. But they obviously had the, the move uh, for Woodburn lined up. So that Eastwood. he just came... To, <laughs> Who the fuck is Woodburn? <laughs> uh, I think maybe... I don't know, you're confusing a lot of players, but Freddie Woodman... <laughs> not even him not even like that no idea who the fuck Woodburn is right aye, Eastwood Craig Eastwood am I right to say Jake Eastwood Jake <laughs> <laughs> well Craig Woodburn <laughs> uh, is, yeah he obviously signed and uh, I think it's clear he's going to be the number one win fit but he's going to be out for a while and Danny Rogers top flight level as a backup <sighs> As a backup for a club like Kelly, probably okay Good, in, terms of, in terms of passable, yeah. yeah. Oh, not too bad. But I think it's been clear to see that he's still kind of living off a lot of that reputation as the, the good season or two he had at Falkirk hmm. uh, those years ago. And also quite good at Dumbarton in the Championship as well. Because since then, there's not really been a, a lot in his career uh, to suggest he would be a top-flight goalkeeper. And, I mean... Kelly brought in uh, Freddie Woodman. Uh, so not Kelly. Uh, Aberdeen brought in Freddie Woodman when uh, Joe Lewis was injured. Uh, I think the season before last, when they kind of they had a, a look at Rodgers in a couple of games to see whether he could step up and be the kind of the, the backup they kind of needed, and that proof did not be the case. And uh, then they went out and got Thomas Cherney after that, and kind of Rodgers. Ever since then, he's just kind of his career's been stuck in a bit of a malaise. It's the, 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 the Celtic goal isn't one of the worst uh, things you've ever seen. He should have been should have been further back on his line. He should have moved his feet quicker. He should have saved it, basically. It's not the worst mistake. If he gets a bit more time, he's, he certainly, when he was at Falkirk, showed that he was somebody with potential, with talent. Maybe a run of games, a few clean sheets could give him the confidence. But, yeah, it's not the best to start. It's, it's a strange one because if, if he had a wall... Christie doesn't score that, I don't think. But alternatively, a lot of goalkeepers, when they talk about walls from that distance, sort of read or, or heard, is that they wouldn't want a wall. They want a full picture from that distance yeah. and they, they put them to, put it to themselves to, to save it. So, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't good all round. Now, talking about things that are not good all round, Hamilton <laughs> Academical. They got beat 1-0 by Ross County, a late-ish Billy Mackay strike. We'll, we'll, we'll start with Hamilton. Oh, they, 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 they did not look good. I thought David Moyle had a no bad game. He was at yep. least kind of being a bit of a disruptive force making things happen. I think Lewis Smith wasn't too bad. Mm. Wasn't too bad. Yeah. Made a couple of things happen. Uh, apart from that... I, I, don't mind, really I don't mind Odoffin. I think he's okay. Again, was it wasn't too bad. He, he did um, the early Lee Irwin chance. He was he was basically at fault for that. Got kind of really took a really kind of weird position. Basically, went to close down play in the middle of the field, and then as soon as it kind of broke behind him, he was miles out of the picture. But apart from that, you're right. He did do well, and he actually kind of provided some sort of threat on mm-hmm. the on the right. You could actually see in the second half. Uh, which is weird. County actually ended up making the change. I was wondering, uh, it was quite, it was kind of funny timing. I can understand why they did it and it certainly kind of helped with the goal and stuff. But at the time, Erwin was just kind of stopped 
going down the back down the left. He was basically just standing as a second striker because he just he just completely stopped worrying about Scott McMahon as an attacking threat. And I think that's the problem with McMahon at left back is that I think McMahon's a, a solid enough left back defensively, but going forward he, he doesn't really bring much to the table. No. And I think Ir- he's a left centre back. And a, and a yeah, few. I th- yeah, I think that is probably his best position. And Erwin just kind of. Erwin in the first half was tracking back. In the second half, I think he just stopped because he was like, what's the point in this? And just mm. died stand centrally beside Billy McKay. But yeah, there's a... I think Temps looked all right when he came on. Uh, and if he can get up to full fitness, he can give them something. But yeah, there's a lot of problems with that team. Uh, specifically, goalkeeper being one of them. Ryan Fulton is somebody... Speaking about somebody who's, you know, supposedly got potential and talent, he's... He has made good saves in his Aki's career. He's been at them for a while now. He's been in, I think, he was in the Scotland, he was regular fixed in the Scotland on the 21s yep. team back in the day. He used to be at Liverpool. There's a lot to, to go for him if you want to kind of argue and say that he will eventually have a good career. But so far in his, his time in Lanarkshire, he's not going any stretch of games without making a howler. And... I thought the goalie was a little bit unlucky with uh, his own player kind of bumping into him. Yeah. But not long before then, he came for a cross and got nowhere near it where County maybe should have scored as well. So we're guarding, I think, tried to... It was hard to tell whether he was trying to score and just made a mess of it or try to head it back across when he should have went for goal. But Garden probably should have tucked that one away. So even if he was a bit unlucky at the, the actual winner, Fulton does not inspire any confidence whatsoever. And the <laughs> centre-halves as well aren't particularly great either. No, so. I think for uh, in terms of Fulton, I think... He is someone who looks like a very good or a half decent shop, a shot stopper, but it's the other aspects of his game which are still important, like uh, catching crosses, decision making, etc. Et his concentration, this maybe the worst stuff like that. Worst problem comes into uh, comes into concern. But you look at Axe, you look at the Hamilton team who. Where did they finish on average points last season? Eleventh, yeah, they they finished eleventh. That yep, they survived. But they've downgraded in a lot of areas. So you talk about goalkeeper and like centre backs as well, because they had a couple of good loanies on uh, loanies last last season. You got Sean Watt, who I believe was out the picture at one point on the rice last season. He did have a strong second half of the season, and then Marcus Fjortov. I'm not seeing too much of Fjortov, but from what I have seen, I do not like what I've seen. No, and that, I mean, was he injured last season? Because I don't think he was. I think he was just kind of like a reserve player last year. So for him to kind of be thrust into starting 11 surely doesn't bode well. No, and the thing about Aki's is they're set up. I, I agree. I think Temps, if they get him up to full fitness, I think he would be he's going to be a massive player, of course. And the guy, Olabi, I think, uh, it's a hard name to pronounce, the, the, the boy they signed from... FC United of Manchester. He yes. comes with a high rate reputation. Looking forward to seeing what he can bring. And especially when they've got someone like uh, David Moyo in attack, similar to Kabamba, who is someone who's going to run uh, run the channels. He's going to take a lot of uh, responsibility on his shoulders. He's, he's going to take a lot of pressure off the defence by taking the ball up the pitch and holding on to it. But the issue is, is that Hamilton, every time I watch them, they seem... F- far too deep their mid- midfields seem far too deep they're just very disjointed throughout and in terms of possessional stat- um, stats I know they played Celtic last week so we expect them they're not going to have a lot of the ball but 
out of the two games so far, they've had an average share of 34.5% of the ball, but the pass completion rate is 52.5%. They're, 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 they're losing the ball almost every other pass. It's mental. That can't be too surprising when they're sitting in midfield too, is Scott Martin and Ross Callaghan. Now, I like, the thing is, I like Scott Martin, but I think he has to have the right players around him. Ross Callaghan isn't one of those. Yeah, he's basically got uh, somebody beside him who is a kind of... Does the same job. Him, yeah, yeah. Worst version of him on the ball. Uh, better at kind of breaking into the opposing box. Uh, and that's about it. That's probably the main difference between the two of them. And... If you're going to have a midfield like that, you're not going to complete many passes. And I think the most disappointing thing, maybe even outside the defensive goalkeeper for for this game for Ake's, was the fact that they had these two in the centre. So the reason you have two guys like this in the centre part is that they can be a a 4-4-2 pair Mm -hmm. in theory because they they can get up and down the pitch. They're all about work rate. They're they're really kind of dynamic players, guys who, who run with a lot of power and can do the defensive side of the game well. And like I say, Callahan can get in the opposing box and kind of make things happen in a chaos factor kind of way. He does have a, a good kind of sense for picking out areas where to run to in the final third. But they didn't really do much of that in this game. And also, they had to change formation at halftime because Harry Payton was just continually picking up space in the number 10 role for County. And Martin and Callahan really couldn't get much of a handle on him. So they kind of failed at both ends in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Harry Payton, so I think it's probably right to go on to Ross County. Harry Payton was excellent. Ross Stewart was excellent. As a, Overall, I think Ross, Ross County obviously fully deserved their win. But for large parts of the game, especially the first half, Ross County looked really, really, really good. Some of the passages of play were excellent, just like the combination play. I really liked the 4-3-3 formation. I think this Kettlewell's got a nice balance to it, just with uh, Jordan Tilson as the someone who, ha, who who's mobile but can break up play. You've got Ian yeah, Vigers. He's, he's the battler of Vigers sits and yeah. kind of does the creativity ahead of them. But then it's interesting with just playing three strikers, but it's easy to play three strikers like that when you've got someone like Ross Stewart, who is a defensive midfielder, a wing-back, and a striker all-in-one. He just there was, there was a moment where I thought, oh, that's uh, Alex Jacoviti breaking up play on the edge of the box. No, Stewart, and then he just gets it and just goes for a dribble, takes it up the pitches. I, I talked about him on the, a view from the terrace last season, uh, quite early on in the season, I think, Ross Stewart, because he had got an injury and fell away, but... He is, uh, every time I kind of watch him, you know, there's always something about him that impresses me and it looks like he's kicked on again. Yeah, that was, yeah, I agree. He was the best player against Motherwell. Uh, he, was, he was probably, as well as Peyton played, probably the best player against uh, Hamilton as well. And the work he puts in is outstanding. And just the fact of how good a footballer he's kind of uh, grown into as well. Because... <laughs> In this, in this game, he kind of he, he dipped out of it a little bit at the start of the second half. Uh, Hamilton changed things up, brought on Charlie Trafford, went to a, a, basically a 4-1-4-1. Uh, and that he kind of did, matched, matched them up. Yeah, it, it did help kind of stop County playing through them as much. And County didn't start the, the second half as well as they played through most of the first. And, and Stewart out on the left, having been very involved in a lot of the play in the first half, kind of coming inside for the left, wasn't really into it. Then they moved, County made changes of their own. Brought in Gardine and Mullen for Erwin and uh, Tilson. 
and move Stewart into the centre, and that kind of unleashed him again. It just meant he had kind of he was playing almost as a number ten to be fair, kind of dropping off Mackay, but it just meant he kind of had freedom to roam and pick up the ball, mm-hmm. and that's where kind of both. Uh, County's kind of main chances in the second half originated. Both the goal where he won the free kick that was played out to Garda and then knocked back to Viger's ball in the box and then Fulton doesn't collect it and all mayhem uh, ensues. But even the Garda chance was Stuart dropping very deep to like win the ball like almost like beyond Viger's and and, um, and Peyton and, and move out wide and kind of start the attack from there. So he's not just not just a goal threat uh, not just a good kind of diagonal to have when he's playing it wide. He can play. He can play on the at the tip of the the team as a striker who's battling with defenders because of his size. But he's also good enough technically to drop back and to just kind of get his team on the ball uh, to get the players up the pitch and to to just make things happen. Yeah, it's he's he's just so unusual to look at uh, as as a football player. And then with with Stuart, you mentioned the diagonals, but. You've got Erwin on the other side, so that's always a constant threat, especially when you've got someone like Vigers who has that ability to just open up the play with his, with his passing. With Erwin and Stewart, you need someone centrally who's going to be able to, to get, kind of work with them, uh, maybe open up space for them. And they've got that in Billy Mackay. Over the last few years, obviously, we've known Billy Mac- Billy Mackay is a relegator. He just keeps seems to get relegated by teams. But you have to go back to his time in the top flight with Inverness when he was when he was at his best. And you have to remember this was a very very good striker when he played for Inverness. He was he's just a very clever, intelligent striker. And despite being quite small, he uses his, uses his body very well. He his game intelligence is good, and he can play that. Seen with Inverness, he can play that lone role very well and score goals. Yeah, I don't know what happened to him for a good, what, four or five years? He must have just completely lost his confidence after he he tried it down south and it didn't work out because when he came back with Dundee Ride, he was, I think he saw the sharpness was there initially, but then when he he couldn't, he kept missing one-on-ones and just couldn't really get any luck in front of goal. I think maybe that's when he really, his confidence led to an extra knock. And then after that, even when he was back at Inverness, because he went back there on loan, the season they got relegated, uh, he was with County, and it just kind of looked like it, it wasn't just the goal scoring that left. It was also like other aspects of his play just seemed blunted, and he just seemed like a, a very kind of mesh striker. He seemed like the striker that he was the season before he he kind of heralded himself at Inverness because mm-hmm. he was he was he was there for one campaign where I think he only scored like three times in like twenty five games or whatever, and you barely noticed he was there. And he kind of went back to that, but last uh, well probably going back to their season in the championship. He's, he's managed to get some of his mojo back. He's not quite the player he was once when, because I, I can't imagine him netting 25 goals this season. But he's certainly showing the other sides of his game that, that used to get him so much praise, uh, along with the fact he was finding the back of the net. That's starting to come back in his, in his game now. Or in fact, probably not even starting to come back. That's there again. Uh, and that's probably should remove the relegator nickname because he was certainly a huge part of them staying up last year. Without his goals, they probably wouldn't have done that, especially when Stewart missed like three months of the season. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah, you, you, well, I don't know where County... I still don't think County are good enough to maintain. Well, obviously not maintain, so we're going to win every <laughs> fucking game. Um, but, I mean, to, like, I don't think they're good enough for a top six finish still. Uh, and it depends if, if... They might have a run at that if Stewart stays for the season. Uh, that's something to maybe keep their eyes on because I think counties. Is, when I talk to... Yeah, Alistair Fraser, uh, 
No, it wasn't. Sorry, Andy Skinner. I talked to Andy Skinner for, uh, prior to the season about uh, County's uh, chances in, uh, for the Patreon, and he did say that he wondered whether the plan for County was just to keep Stuart because he's end up probably being worth more to them in the long run than if they sold them. Because if they sell them and they struggle and they go down, you know, especially in like these kind of turbulent times, and you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. That that could be a horrible blow for County if they were to, to get relegated at the end of the season. So why not just keep your best player in the last year's deal or one of your best players, and make sure you got his best chances staying up. But I wonder what will happen if County's great start to the season continues and we get to early October. The County then get a, a decent six-figure bid and go. Okay, well, maybe we could have a cake eaten too. We've maybe got a team that's proven to be strong enough to stay up anyway, and we could maybe do without Stuart. So that that will be interesting because if they do keep him, I think they maybe kind of going back on what I said earlier. But I think they maybe can now more. I think about it, have a have a run at the top six. Yeah, I don't see why not, especially because I want to just to finish up on Cause this because the fact a lot of league shit as well. <laughs> yeah, that and their defence as well. So they they conceded sixty goals last season, average two. Uh, they average two a game. But they do look a lot more solid. Kept back-to-back league clean sheets uh, for the first time since the start of last season. And it's obviously three new arrivals. Ross Laidlaw does not instill any confidence in me. There was a couple of dodgy nope. moments against Hamilton. especially. Oh, uh, well, if I, uh, I meant to mention uh, the funniest aspect of that game was when he uh, passed out for a corner. Yes. But the, in the second half, and he had one more in the first where he just passed it straight to an Aki's player, uh, not far out of the box. The yeah, the the one that passed behind for a corner kick, it just looked like a I don't know, like a, a FIFA glitch. Yeah, but they've obviously got Ross doing, who is highly regarded. They still got Stephen Kelly as well, who again on loan from Rangers, highly regarded. I know he's a midfielder, but defensively they look a lot more solid. The uh, Josh Reed looks like quite a find, or just not quite, not quite a find, just a very, very good academy player. And Alex Yakaviti, as I saw when we did a scouting thing, is he just kind of meat and potatoes defender. And at times, especially last season, that's what they needed because they conceded so many goals last season from just not clearing, uh, clearing their lines. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think they even improved a little bit last season, didn't they? Not after Donaldson joined, uh, and for a spell, I don't yeah. Think in- I don't think any of their kind of back four are, are, are that great. I mean, the, the young uh, left back looks decent. I'm still a wee bit worried that he was roasted by Sherwin Sadoff over and over again because nobody's had that habit since yeah. Stephen Whitaker uh, towards the beginning of last season. Uh, but he looks like certainly somebody's got enough potential. Uh, Connor Randall is a solid right back. Uh, Cole Donaldson, I think at the top flight level, uh, Dundee fans still refuse to believe that he's anything other than the worst footballer ever. But I think he, he's fine. I think uh, the boy whose name I'm, I'm not trying to pronounce, I think he's fine as well. And that that's a huge upgrade for County. Like it, it's almost a backhanded cover, and it pretty much is. I don't think any of them are that great, and I wouldn't be clamoring to sign any of them for help, even in the championship. But I still think they're all fine. They're all competent, and mm-hmm. that is that is an improvement. And I don't think they're going to keep uh, anywhere near kind of a pace of clean sheets uh, that... They'll be on now. I don't think that they're, they're going to through, go through the season racking up quite a lot of them. I think this might prove to be a little bit of an aberration, but I also don't think they're going to be like they were last term, continually letting in two or three. Well, thanks very much, Craig, for your contribution. It was valued and welcomed. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
I'm now joined by Tony Anderson to look back at Hibs's 4-1 win at Livingston on Saturday and then Rangers' 3-0 win over St Mirren on the Sunday. You are champing at the bit Chomping the bit, one of those uh, one of those expressions at the bit to talk about Hibs. So let's talk about Livingston first of all, just because I don't think there's be much to say on Livingston. We'll get them out the road. No, not um, Livingston. Um, they, they, they were just basically just watching a completely different team hmm. uh, that they played last season, uh, and that's not just. I, I see people were mentioning obviously that they've they've reverted back to a back three, which I think they've done. The season before last uh, was was the formation when they first came into the league, uh, and it's it's not working, and it and it's not that it can't work. It just it just it doesn't make any sense. Sort of the members in it, the FA Ambrose, I, was, I think, will be the one that most people will have noticed playing at left wing back. It, it doesn't make any sense anywhere, and the main part that doesn't make sense is that Fitzwater and Brown aren't anywhere near good enough to force F.A. Ambrose to be playing out of position. So Livingston are... It's so bizarre because in my notes, in my notes, the first one I put down was, what the fuck is F.A. Ambrose still doing playing at left wing back? Because he he started there last weekend against, uh, in the 1-0 defeat to St. Mirren. And he just, it was weird because Aaron Taylor Sinclair, a natural left wing back or left back was playing in his uh, uh, centre back. And he just thought, there must be something uh, there, there must be a particular reason that happened against St Mirren. And then you get to the Hibs game. Ambrose is still playing left wing back, but now Aaron Taylor Sinclair's on the bench. I seen Fowler last night. He mm. queried it on Twitter, and it was interesting going through responses, looking at PNB, just to get an idea from Livingston fans to see if they have any clue what was going on. And the best answer I could find was it was, it was for banter. There just seemed to be absolutely no yeah. reason behind it. It, it, it doesn't make as I said because they're playing a back three, which I would argue probably is the best position to play Effie Ambrose in. Um, mm. When he was when he was at Hibs and Hibs played a back three, it really really brought the best out of Ambrose, uh, and obviously his ability to sort of run out with the ball and then sort of there's no really any gaps behind them when he goes on these mazes, which. I know he's been a figure of fun in the past, but in terms of that ability to bring the ball out, there's arguably no one outside the old firm that's as good as Ambrose has been at that uh, when, when he was at Hibs and what I imagine he'd still be capable of now. They also have Marvin Bartley there. So, I mean, it all seems that that would really work really well if you've got Ambrose sort of like playing a quick pass at Bartley, moving out with the ball, taking it back off him and moving into midfield where Bartley would shift in. And it's also, Livingston have such a, a tight pitch anyway, and I know that that, that suits them because of, of the way that they play. But with Ambrose out on the left and the fact that you've got sort of Robinson and Pittman, who, yeah, they might be playing some sort of hybrid, they're 3-4-3, three, three, but those guys are still coming pretty central to try and get close to Dykes. Mm-hmm. So like with Ambrose playing on the left, he, he's getting a bit hung out to dry there as well. He's got nobody to link up with. And he's obviously going to always want to come inside on his right foot and play into the middle. So an already tight pitch is getting tighter and tighter. And surely someone like Sinclair out there who's, who's crossing, I remember when he played at Thistle, his crossing ability was really good. And someone like Dykes would probably in, enjoy that, that style. That, that's, what some, that's something that surprised me when looking back at stats from last season is that Livingston, I can't remember where they were, but they were pretty low down for the number of crosses, despite mm-hmm. having one of the best target men, best part target men in the league, which was, it, it was surprising, but it worked because they, 
did have some penetration from wide, but they allowed like the likes of Pittman and Stevie, Stevie Lawless to play central. Now it just seems like a it just a literally just a, a back five, four centre backs, and then the it, it's so bizarre to say about Lawson is that they seem so disjointed. The last two seasons. They've been one of the most organised, structured teams who know exactly what they're. Every every player in that uh, in that system or on the pitch knows what their role is, but also knows what their teammates' role is, which a massive, uh, which is just a massive plus. Gary Colt came out after uh, after said basically apologised for the performance and said that the players maybe hadn't taken on his instructions. But again, it's it's hard to hard to decipher what his instructions are because they're, they're playing such such a formation and such players in a formation and then it wasn't just that they just couldn't defend basics like it's Livingston thrived on doing the basics and doing them so so well now they're not stopping crosses now they're not making clearances not now they're, they're not making headers they're letting the ball bounce it was just it was very very chaotic and bordering on amateurs yeah, I, I I totally agree, and I also thought uh, with, with talking about and, and sort of the Hibs mindset is that the biggest surprise for me is that people look at the four one and think Hibs played sort of scintillating, but mm-hmm. I don't think they did. They played no. very well. They played ve- they played very well, but they played very well at sort of playing at a, a place like Livingston. They won loads of second balls. Hibs they got the ball forward quickly, so they sort of played Livingston more at, at their game, and then we obviously tried the counter attack as well. Yeah, is what sort of Hibs are famous for. Sort of. At the, in the time being but um, so we sort of played it was like a horses for courses type of way Hibs also went 4-4-2 they sort of changed their formation I think to suit to play Livingston I think a bit of respect was shown to Livingston with the way that Hibs sort of lined up and they played and Livingston just couldn't deal with, with it and it's um, and see, they talk about not following the instructions there's not like there's a whole host of new guys playing here and, and I don't I mean they might have changed shape but they might have changed shape but I don't believe they've changed their values or their style um, Livingston so I don't know how much that would wash for me as a Livingston fan I bet I'm not following instructions because it's, it's, he's not, he's not re- reinventing the wheel uh, with the way that they're playing he's just literally changed the shape but it's a shape that so a lot of these players will have played in sort of previously anyway so I want to, I want to move on to Hibs because I want to got uh, I don't really want to speak with Hibs I've got a few questions to ask you about Hibs but uh, I think it's worth noting for listeners if they're watching Livingston that for me I've got suspicions over three players and one of the, uh, Nicky Devlin Fitzwater who I watched and I wasn't too sure about uh, that scouting bit and goalkeeper Ross McCrory I think he is one to have suspicions about because he wasn't overly comfortable. No, and uh, Fitz, Fitzwater, I, I don't see anything. Uh, I, I heard reports that um, pre-season people thought mm-hmm. he was looking all right. I think with the, the, the scouting ones, but he, he looked all over the place. He didn't. He didn't. He wasn't shutting down. He didn't look too good in the air. Um, he wasn't taking the ball out. So I was like, I was trying to search for a sort of plus point for him as a player, and, and it just it wasn't there. I did, these things can change over time, but I also didn't think much of Brown, and I know Brown Brown came in in January last year, that's right, isn't it? He's, this is his third loan spell, I think, at Livingston. Third, third loan spell, yeah. yeah. So, um, apart from the big long throw, which would seem to be a bit of a feature in uh, Livingston's play, like the long throw came in a lot from him, and it is, it is quite a weapon. It can, it can go really quite far. Yeah, I would say that I didn't see much from, from him either. Well, I... I Obviously, when you've been beaten 4-1 and there's balls getting pinged across your six-yard box from not even close in uh, and it's getting through everyone and, and you're conceding goals, I think that screams that you've, you've had a poor, poor game defensively. 
So moving on to Hibs, what's, what impressed you the most about the, the win? Like, like I said, it's the fact that we, we shuffled it round and I think we, we kind of changed our style a bit. Uh, it was a big call dropping Scott Allen um, for, for Hibs. I mean, yeah, Allen has his uh, negatives as, as a player. Of course he does. But normally you would think Hibs, he would always be arguably one of the first name on the team sheet. But as I said, I think Hibs paid Livingston quite a... Uh, a lot of respect with the way that they, they take him out. They went with Newell and Gogic. Newell's sort of reborn. It's not just, he, he always looked like he had a bit of talent, mm-hmm. uh, but now he, he's, he's added a lot of dig. And the fact that we're using Joe Newell in a midfield too, uh, centrally, with Gogic really tells you like sort of like how much he's come on uh, and sort of this arguably just work rate. And it's another one that Heckenbottom will probably look at and wonder what, what, what was so wrong when, when he was the manager, when he, he was the one that signed him. Uh, but the fact that Hibs were also able to play Horgan, uh, so no Allen, uh, Martin Boyle, the game really wasn't for him. It didn't really work out for him. Uh, but we had Horgan playing, no Allen, no Boyle, and Hibs still managed to score four goals. And this is something I've talked about uh, in pre-season, maybe off-air. There are people, the thing that's getting me excited about Hibs is I think there's quite a lot of ways that Hibs can hurt teams with multiple different players. That's what, that's what I was going to ask you just the for on, on the formation. So last week, I think you started with a back three, mm-hmm. and I think they used Ross changed a couple of times within the within the match. And against Livingston, you got the four four two worked really well. You've got a lot of options there, a lot of players who can play different different roles. What do you see as the best formation for Hibs, or do you think going forward it's just a case of? Depending on who Hibs are playing, that's how Hibs will set up. Just because they've got so many different attacking arsenals. Yeah, I, I was before the season started. I was always pretty much thinking towards uh, three at the back with three five two. But with just how good Boyle is uh, and how sharp mm-hmm. he's looked at the start, I know he didn't have a great game here, but how sharp he looked in the Kilmarnock game is that you will lose a bit from that. And against certain teams, and I think it'll be you'll see in every single match Hibs play now that Hibs will play one more than one shape through a game and it, um, Paul McGinn it was a signing that it, you weren't excited about it were you and, 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 and I don't disagree with people who weren't He's, he was quite a run of the mill Scottish Premiership player at, at where he didn't really do much and a decent engine uh, sometimes maybe a decent ball in but there wasn't much more to him in that but he becomes pretty crucial in that way that we can shift between shape because he, when he's going into the the defensive three it's working out really well because he's a bit more mobile than, than Paul Hanlon He's much, he doesn't get done on the turn as much. Uh, and he's also more mobile than Darren McGregor, being another player who might play in there. Uh, but also when it goes to fullback, and the similar with Doig and Stevenson, is that when we want to sit in, suddenly you can put McGinn, maybe bring Stevenson on, and McGinn, you can put them in at the fullback positions, and suddenly you're really, you're really compact as a back four when you don't want them to push forward. And then you might be able to get teams on the counter when you move into a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3 and you use Boyle uh, further ahead when he maybe might be playing a wing-back position at earlier times. But even during this game, it was a 4-4-2, but Boyle was picking up the ball pretty centrally a lot. Uh, with the second goal, I mean, Doig runs through the middle of the pitch. Uh, he picks up the ball sort of in a centre-half position and runs right through the middle of the pitch. And that's easy because now we've got Gogic there. There was no midfielder who could drop in and cover for defenders when they wanted to move forward last season. But now... Gogic, I was trying to explain this to friends. Right? I was like, Gogic doesn't even have to play particularly well to be a weapon for Hibs this season. It's just it's more about the balance that he brings. And all he has to do, if he's shutting players down and stopping us being weak through the middle, then he's actually earning his money. Yeah, so there's with Gogic, it was one of those signings where I had my suspicions just because 
it seemed like the most obvious signing ever fills a gap. It's like this is this is a player that Hibs need, and you just thought it's kind of too good to be true. But <laughs> I, I don't think it is because his first two games, I think he's been brilliant. There was one moment that really stood out. There was a couple of moments that stood out for me, but one in particular was in the second half that I really liked. Dykes flicked the ball over Hanlon's head, and it was near the edge. So it was in the final third. And there was yeah, there was Gogic basically just pulled him down, and mm. that's what I think you need at times is just someone like that who will go right, just fall, just will take the fall, will mm. take the risk of the free kick rather than being exposed with a defender out of the game. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, it just adds this. But going back to the sort of the attacking Arsenal thing you were talking about, now if if, if Horgan can give even Hibs nine or ten games like that, like Saturday this season. That becomes like a new signing because, mm-hmm. I mean, Horgan didn't kick a ball last season, frankly. He just he wasn't really involved in a team. This is it's the last year of his contract. This is a big season for him as a Hibs player and just as a, as a professional because if he doesn't do well at Hibs this season, the only way is down for Daryl Horgan. And really, he's he's got a lot of talent. He's... He, He's a very dangerous player, but he just doesn't do it enough. The left wing, the with, left wing position is there for him. Exactly, yeah. Especially now if uh, Hibs are showing that uh, Ross has already shown four for two, and that's another thing. With Hibs being willing so well to change shape, it gives every player in the squad thinking because you get some players who might go, oh, "There's no way for me to play in a three-five." Horgan maybe would be one of them. There's no way for me to play. Allen's going to normally play that central role, but even in pre-season, Daryl Horgan played centrally, played up front. Uh, against Celtic uh, in a pre-season game. So obviously Ross is trying to find more and more ways to use these players and use them in all the different ways he wants. But with Newell as well, you've got the corners last season towards the end. Hibs started to score a lot of goals through corners. Adam Jackson was probably the main recipient of those corners Mm -hmm. for for Newell. But um, in the game, I mean, he didn't score direct for the corner, but the third goal came from, from one of Newell's corners and he's just got a really good, really good cross uh, in open play and in it and he's now looking like just a really really cultured sort of central midfield player that, that's the thing so I wanted to ask you about Newell because it was a new website well, not a new website a website that, uh, that started just to cover Scottish football a bit more and again it's, it's stats and rankings and they actually pinpointed Joe Newell as one of the best players uh, ratings wise last week so I kind of paid attention, tried to pay attention to him in the Kilmarnock game and then seen folk raving about him against Livingston. He just, he still doesn't, for me, he's never really stood out. He just does that understated role. But with him, it allowed, with Hibs got in the lead, you were able to bring Halberg on. I think you took uh, Horgan, I think you took Horgan off and then you'll just allow Joe Newell to move to, uh, move out wide and he was still Ooh. quietly effective. Yeah, because like, even as you say, if he's quietly effective, if he's winning balls, if he keeps it ticking over, then you add in the sort of technical ability mm-hmm. of crossing. So you, you still, you're, 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 you've got, he's got a weapon that he has that even if he is just, even if he does become maybe quite run of the mill, just doing a job, he's still got an added impetus of being able to create goals from corners or from, from open play, which maybe for a normal player who maybe plays the role that we're describing there, that's not normally something that they can add. Um, so, I just there's just so many ways now, especially with Portis being back. Uh, you see the difference in the defence with Portis. His, his positional ability is so good. Whether we're playing back three or a back four, like with Kilmarnock, Hibs allowed them to have the wide areas uh, last week when mm-hmm. we moved more into the second half. Hibs allowed that them the ball to go wide, and we just he just wins it almost constantly. Um, either being it with his feet or his head because he where he positions himself. 
Um, and if he can stay fit this season, I've got a good feeling if he continues like this, well, it's a bad feeling really for Hibs' point of view, but if he continues like this, this and he stays fit, this will be his last season at Hibs. Yeah, I think, I'm sure it was uh, Alan Temple, or Fowler asked Alan Temple on the preview show just about how, for Porteous, the aim should be just to play a full season. Just basically yeah. just play a full season. But I do think, I, I agree with you that after he plays a full season consistently, which I think he has the capability to consistently, maybe not the uh, uh, fitness-wise, but uh, if he does that, then yeah, there's going to be plenty of suitors. I was really impressed with how uh, he, particularly him, him and Hanlon, handled Dykes, even though Dykes was one of Levy's better players. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Hanlon's had a decent start this season. I mean, there's still weaknesses in Hanlon's game, but as I said, both for Hanlon and McGregor, and McGregor when they play, Porteous being there really saves them from their own weaknesses. Uh, as I said, Hanlon gets turned a lot. Uh, that's sort of the weakest, but Hanlon's sort of pretty good at taking the ball out. He's also relatively good positionally. He does like to step out and win the ball mm-hmm. uh, against defenders, but sometimes he ends up when it's a big guys like Dykes or even Uchi. Uh, last season, for example, I mean, Hanlon can really shut Cosgrove, uh, Abika, players like that. There's a lot of them kicking about in Scotland, and sometimes Hanlon can struggle with them. Uh, imagine what people are going to be talking about on this podcast about Julianne later, uh, if you like. But um, so with Port just being there, and again, um, they're much more mobile, and that saves whether Hanlon or McGregor are playing. They're still good players, Hanlon and McGregor, but they need guys around them to save them from their own deficiencies and then you've got Doig as well who's played on the left hand side who's much quicker than Stevenson who might be able to help cover in behind Hanlon when those times that he turns but um, we, I mean we've spoke all this about Hibs and we've not mentioned the guy who yeah so this, uh, this, is my, this is my sec- <laughs> second last point on Hibs was Nisbet I'll let you speak, uh, speak about him but the, the thing that stood out for me aside from his goals I, I've talk, talked him up I've really liked him and talked about him on the TV show I think he's maybe got a higher ceiling than Shankland. I, I did, what I was really impressed with against Livingston was the pest factor. He was just non-stop. Oh, yeah. He works his socks off. And it, him and Dodge look like the, the, the sort of attributes will match up really well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dodge is, is, looks probably better than Nisbet when he's back to goal. I think Nisbet struggled quite a lot against Kilmarnock when the shape change was he was the one player who, who it didn't really work for. Uh, against Kilmarnock when he was going up against sort of Finlay and Broadfoot he wasn't getting a lot of change out of them when he's back to go but the minute Dodge was back in he was winning a lot of headers he was doing all that part of the game and Nisbet was able to just as you say press the defenders don't let them get any minute on the ball and then I think there was a decent analysis from Sean Maloney on sports scene when he was showing just how often Nisbet was making sure he could see the sort of most basic stuff when you're training, coaching a striker, I imagine, I've been trying to see if we can see the defender's number. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that we've already got told by your most dual average sort of football coaches as kids, but it doesn't make it any less true. Uh, and you see him at every point in, in all these goals. He manages to see the defender's number uh, and then the defender doesn't know where he is and he sort of creeps off him a couple of yards for the first goal. He's right beside, I think it's Brown uh, and or, or, um, or Guthrie. And then when Horgan, just before he does it, he takes the two steps back, it goes across, and he's there just to tap it in. The header was a decent header, because uh, I think like, the goals, a lot of people would be like, big deal, they don't look like much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Horgan's, um, it, was, it was a good, he's, he's running back, and he gets his header back across Groves, and he was involved in, in Doidge's goal again, which was the most classic Christian Doidge goal yep. we missed out, not seen it in a while, uh, where he managed to sort of shin it off the post and in, in an open goal. 
Before we move on to the Rangers game, one last question, Tony. Can Hibs win the league? Of course. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Moving to Ibrox, Rangers defeated St. Men in 3 0. Two goals from Morelos and an own goal set up by Morelos. We were talking off air, and you mentioned you found it hard to kind of analyse teams like St. Men in, in these types of games. I feel, yeah, because I always, I, I didn't get to see, I managed to see, I think, the three, three live games last year, or four live games, whatever, how many were on the telly, plus. Uh, plus the Hibs game, so St Mirren wasn't one of them. So I was looking. So is that a first time I'm going to see them this season? I didn't want. To, I don't want to overanalyze them because I don't feel like it's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, they, as I said, they have to sit in so much. They tried some subtle changes during the match. Uh, they they had McPherson, McGrath seemed to be their most uh, advanced sort of central player in the first half, and then they had uh, Dermis on the left, and then in the second half that sort of changed a bit. They sort of bring McPherson. Uh, more inside, and um, they gave Foley more license to get forward. And I think, I can't I say we're talking really subtle because they didn't get much of the boy. They did look slightly more dangerous in the mm-hmm. second half when uh, McPherson went. I mean, they should have won a penalty. Uh, like there was definitely a penalty for me, but it's one of those I don't blame the blame the, the referee for not giving it. I, yeah. I didn't think it was when I first saw it. But the, so there was those subtle differences. But the rest of the time, it was just. It was just backs to the wall. They were trying to live with them. They they gave up the wings to the fullbacks, the Rangers, which I think is going to be a huge feature of a Rangers play. It was a huge feature they play next season, but I think even more now with Hadji being there. Um, obviously, they think they had it with Kent, Aribo, and Hadji. They were just interchanging all the time. Ayo played more on the right. Maybe Kent was more on left, but I saw them absolutely everywhere. And with the new signing, uh, I was reading your I think your scout report on Itten. We done it for the Scotsman, maybe, yeah. um, and it was interesting that you said he scored a lot of goals aerially. Yeah, uh, but you, you didn't. You, but you, I thought it was interesting. You didn't think he was good aerially with his back to goal, but in terms of when he's facing goal, he scored a lot of goals. Yeah, I and think, I think you that. Go, yeah, on you go, on you go. I think you'll find that that's going that that might be a really smart move from Jared. That makes a lot of sense because I saw it there. They had the Sitmarin were trying to clog the middle to make sure that they couldn't get through. Eventually, Rangers will click and it won't matter. They will get through in those areas and they'll, they'll score a lot of goals. But if teams are going to give up the wide areas and you've got a delivery of Barisic and Tavernier, and uh, yeah, Mirella scores some headers. It's not he's poor in the air, but he's not he's not necessarily great in the air. Mm-hmm. If Rangers have signed a guy who sort of aerially would be one of his real plus points, I think that might end up being a really, really smart move for him. So I mentioned earlier on about Livingston and you're kind of surprised by how little they cross. Rangers opposite, they were the most frequent crossers last season and mm. you, you've seen the, the, their kind of average positions for the St. Mirren game and Barisic was so, so high. I think he is <clears> going to be he is going to be one of their top, like in, a, in the top three most important players. I think he's taken over that prominence from Tavernier. Mm-hmm. I think he's, Tavernier's, he's, I think he's done well, he's done a lot from his talent, but you just know Barisic is on a different level. He's a better, better crosser of the ball, he's more cultured, more, just a better footballer, probably better physically as well. He's going to be so yeah. important and if, uh, like you said, teams are going to pack the middle as St. Mirren tried to do, Barisic comes even more important because he'll be a he'll be a free man and it'll take it'll take players a while to get out to him. So yeah, I think he he was massive. He was massive. I think one thing I'm uh, watching Rangers. This I spoke about last week the Jack and Camera uh, playing centrally. Uh, I think it worked pretty well when they played in Europe last season. Mm-hmm. I do get the feeling it's a bit overkill 
uh, and and when they're playing at home, they, they do. This. I don't know if it's because maybe they want. I said this last week as well that maybe they're wanting Jack to do more of what he'd done in the first half of last season when mm-hmm. he was sort of much more involved going forward. That might be the case, but I think. Uh, for for one of them, I would worry because I would say that now that they've got is it Ruth or Rufe? I don't know how you pronounce it. Ruth. One of them, but Ruth, yeah. Uh, now that he's in and he can play again in one of those uh, in all pretty much what I was reading, he can play in all those front four positions. Uh, a ten can play the ten as well as is up front. And if Morelos, I mean, they're they're really digging their heels in Rangers from Morelos, so. It, I think he will go, but I wouldn't be surprised if they dug their heels in so much and they just they end up selling them in January rather yeah. than rather than right now. It's, um, I think it's it's a good it's a good point you make because it was something that Felder and I were talking about. It was Celtic where you talked about the game against Kilmarnock. Celtic and Rangers are going to play so many times where they are going to get to the halfway line unopposed, mm-hmm. and then they're going to have so much of the ball. You just think it's with with Brown. And either you were saying about Jack or uh, Kamara that sometimes you maybe just don't need them. You just maybe need a more forward-thinking player, a more vertical player in that midfield. Aribo, because I think hmm. the minute Aribo uh, for the, s- third, the third goal, Aribo yes. dropped into the central area and he played Brilliant. the sort of a really forward-thinking pass that certainly, certainly Kamara I wouldn't picture playing. No. Um, but, and then he done that. So I think, and I'd say Aribo probably, I think Aribo, ultimately would probably in a dreamland would probably quite like to play the 10 role but he's never going to get to do that I don't think at Rangers too many other players and the fact that he's able to play other roles mm-hmm. will work against him in that they've got other ways of keeping him happy if you like but I could see him coming in and just playing one of those midfield roles because it's not like he's really going to have to sit in he'll have the whole game in front of him he's got good enough feet that if it's a crowded in there he can still get away and he can play those forward thinking passes and I would argue that that's probably where Rangers end up going because they don't even like taking the ball when they've got Balogun and Goldson they, they both really enjoy bringing the ball forward it's like everyone should just be pushing forward <laughs> and, and, let, and letting they to sort of come forward with the ball but Goldson's another one he, Obika, the only player he got any change out of was Goldson, and even that was was very little. Mm-hmm. He managed to link up a few times when he went up a Goldson. He got nothing out of Balogun. And again, I'm trying to create narrative that probably isn't really there because so little happened on the sort of offensive side for St Mirren. But um, I think with Hollander's performance during the week, he looked really excellent against Leverkusen. I watched the game, and it was his first game in months, so I was really surprised at how well he played. Um, I'd say Goldson and uh, Balogun are pretty similar style uh, in the way that they play. Uh, and early things would tell me that Balogun's better. Uh, and I would say Hollander cost more. Hollander's probably maybe is, is, is a definitely a better defender than Goldson. Maybe not as good as stepping out. Maybe not as good as winning the ball off a striker's toe, if you like. But I think when it comes to uh, starting, um, for that early series couple of games, that I think Balogun and Hollander will become the the sort of main centre halves at Rangers. That will be interesting because Goldson has been almost like an ever-present uh, mm-hmm. uh, under Gerrard. Moving to Morelos, started started the show. I was I was actually really impressed with him. Stephen Gerrard called him good. I was I, I thought he was great more more than just his goals and his goal threat was how selfless he was. Because so you look at Morelos and he takes shots in areas where you think, just get your head up and pass it. He frustrates mm-hmm. teammates, probably frustrates fans, frustrates the, the management team. But against Admirin, he was he was really, really selfless in his running and his movement, like the like his third goal, how he, how he dropped deep 
combined with Aribo and then got himself mm-hmm. in the in the box. But just getting his head up and playing past, I think probably Kent received the most passes he's ever had from Morelos, um, <laughs> probably combined. And it, it really was an impressive performance after so much. Yeah, so many people question him after the first couple of games, especially after Bayer Leverkusen. Oh, I mean, he was he was woeful against Bayer Leverkusen. It's uh, it was probably the worst I've ever seen uh, Morelos play, and we've all we've all been fortunate enough to watch him quite a lot. But he, he couldn't get a kick. He was giving the ball away constantly. He couldn't hold it up. He couldn't stretch them. He just he couldn't do absolutely everything. In this game, I thought interestingly, he, well, he still dropped deep, and Morelos will always drop deep. It's it's a feature of his match. It's his style of player. He didn't do quite as much as he did against Aberdeen. Mm. Um, he sort of, I think he, he sort of, again, maybe in a selfless, this might sound silly, but in a selfless way, he stayed forward and allowed the other players to get on the ball a bit more uh, and sort of made sure that he kept this pitch stretched a bit and made sure it's, that Simmons can push forward. It's probably helped by the fact that Rangers went from four, I know there's very subtle differences, but 4-3-3 to 4-2. So they actually had, there was always like someone behind them rather than yeah. there was a bigger gap between him and the midfield. Yeah, definitely. So it'll be really interesting to see if he does stay, like what kind of relationship he builds up with sort of Haji, some of the new guys. Because think about Haji and Aribo, they might suffer a bit for the same thing. Is it might take a bit of time for us really to find their true roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm starting to get that feeling with Haji. He was dropping really deep. Haji, I think, wants to be the absolute playmaker. Uh, but that means he, he was dropping in all over the pitch. And as I said, it's going to take a little bit of time. Rangers, if they keep on getting these wins, which I imagine they will, they're obviously one of the better teams in the league. But it'll be really interesting to see when it all clicks because I don't think it's clicked yet. Even in that same minute, people look at 3-0 victory, good. Uh, but I never, it didn't tick over quite as well as I've seen maybe Rangers play in the past. It was similar so, to what you said about Hibs, was that the, you, you look at the result, you think it's comprehensive, like they played well, but they played well, but they didn't play excellent. There were still gears to be found. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that, that should worry a lot, especially how I'd argue that St Mirren are probably one of the better sort of defensive, maybe on the back foot teams mm-hmm. in the league. And the fact that Rangers didn't click and still won 3-0 possibly could have scored more goals. St Mirren will be really disappointed with that second goal. I mean, they, they hung into the game they, they, they started to create some sort of passages of play going forward. They should have won the penalty, but it's it's a corner, which obviously teams are always disappointed with conceding. But Esmeralda doesn't even need to jump, and it's gone a really long way to the back post, and it's quite flat, the corner. I, 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 just, just for the aesthetics of it, without really reading into how it happened too much, it just didn't look that great a goal to be losing, especially when your back's to the wall and you're, you have to work your bloody socks off just to stay in the game. And then that the game's gone then. The third goal comes really, really quickly after it. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Tony, for joining me and reviewing those two games. No bother. Thanks very much for having me. I'll see you soon, Joe. Last but not least, I welcome Duncan Mackay on to look back at Mullerwell's defeat at Fur Park to Dundee United. How does it go, Duncan? I'm grand. I'm grand, Joel. How are you? Yes, good, good. I've enjoyed, I was saying to Tony that I've enjoyed football being back and watching it all, taking it all in, seeing the new players. I think this is why the podcast is taking so long because there's new managers, new players, weird formations. There's just, there's a lot to say. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, had this normally been 
our normal podcast sort of system where we all sit around, uh, this game would have probably got about 40 seconds, uh, whereas I think we could probably talk about it a bit longer. But yeah, uh, yeah uh, I think that's the danger is that we're, we're so excited by the new season being back that we really want to get uh, really in-depth about a lot of things. So going on to this game, what what was your main takeaway? Let's let's look at let's look at Mullerwell to begin with. We'll finish we'll finish on a high with Dundee United. What was uh, what was your thoughts on Mullerwell? Mullerwell don't look good. I think mm. is is uh, one of the things. That I think uh, you know, obviously they were missing Liam Donnelly, um, Paul Worth being out, uh, and uh, and uh, McGinley was was missing from this from. Uh, Saturday's game when compared to, to Monday's, but that's it's it's a very strange team. They set up for, uh, you know, it's obstensially uh, obstensially four three three, but that's not that's a pretty dangerous uh, formation to play if you've got people like Grimshaw and uh, Ricky Lamy uh, at the back because they don't offer an outlet as as uh, going forward, and so I mean. Both sides were very, very guilty of this, of giving the ball to a centre-half, looking for a pass, not seeing anything and so on, and just shelling it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Motherwell were particularly guilty of that, and it, it, made, it made little sense, given the way they'd set up, to shell the ball in the in, largely in the direction of Chris Long. But for him not to have Seedorf or Hasty near him, like uh, Robinson set them out as both playing as uh, Seydorf and, and Hasty as uh, inverted wingers, but not inverted enough that they were anywhere near Chris Long. Like I can, I can understand the tactic if you're shelling a ball to a, center, to a, 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 a pretty tall guy like Chris Long that you're wanting him, you're, you're wanting uh, him to win something. But then if he does, there was no one there to, to feed off the scraps. Yeah, so that's, I think it's a good point with looking at Motherwell that. It's a front fee, but they there's like little combinations. So stayed off and hasty. They they can play in inverted, but a lot of the time, what they did was especially stayed off. His his like the his best is going down the outside of the fullback. So they stayed wide, and there was also the, the, the Millwell, especially through Gallagher, quite guilty of it. Is like the cross heel balls. They don't off don't often work, they, and especially. If, Gallagher, I think he's decent on the ball, but I think when you're playing such adventurous balls, you need someone who is is, is pinpoint with those because yeah, you're basically indeed. just handing. If you're either, even hand possession, because a lot of time it was yeah. just going out of play. Yeah, that was the, that was part of the problem. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, and the idea, I suppose, that if you've got the inverted wingers, is at some stage you're going to you'll switch over or, or something like that, but they didn't even do that, and then Hasty got hooked at at halftime, um, which is not really surprising because he spent most of the first half on his arse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but again, bringing on Tony Watt, but didn't, why, not, not necessarily, we saw it on Monday when he played David Turnbull out left. Uh, Turnbull had moments, he had some, some truly brilliant passes, but not enough to, to control the game. But you I don't know. Is, is Stephen Robinson overcomplicating it? Why would you just not try and play your best players in their best positions? Um, but I mean, I, I was, it was a problem. Like you, when you have someone with the ability of uh, Dave Turnbull, I'm not sure why you would choose to avoid him basically the whole time. It, it wasn't, he, didn't, he wasn't making himself available and nor were uh, McGabby or, or Gallagher looking to find him, which is, uh, and it was reduced to shelling the ball long. Um, 
released Dundee, uh, I'll say that in favour, Dundee United, yes, their centre-halves uh, were, were guilty of, of shelling balls as well, but most of the time there was always at least an easy pass available. A lot of the time for Motherwell, the, the, Mugabe and, and Gallagher had no choice but to shell it because there wasn't someone dropping from midfield to come and get the ball or, or offer an option. I think you made the good point about Robinson overcomplicating matters. It does seem... <laughs> I kind of go back to their the recruitment. They, they did sign a lot of players in the attacking third. So obviously they brought mm-hmm. back Hasty, they signed Jordan White, they signed uh, Callum Wang, um, and they've already, obviously already had uh, Seedorf, Jermaine Hilton, I think, still still on the books. Yeah, he came on. He came on eleven minutes. Yeah, of ago, course. But, like, but was invisible. They've got Long. They had Tony Watt. So there's there's a lot of players, especially. Especially when you have materials like David Turnbull, Campbell, Donnelly, that they're going to play a three. Then you've got an attacking team. I, I, I'm just not sure what the I'm not sure what the thought process was with uh, with the recruitment because then you go back to their defence. The defence looks a the defence looks short of bodies, to be honest. There's question marks over the, the full-backs. I, I, I honestly can't believe they have not strengthened the right-back area. Grimshaw, I think he does a, does a particular job in defensive midfield. He is no-nonsense. You know, you know what you're going to get from him, especially scrappy games. He, he, he's fine with that. But both games this season, he has been really, really poor and he's really been found out as, as, as a fullback, especially getting into the final third. But defensively as well, I think he is someone opposition teams can target. Yeah, definitely. And I, th- and I think... Um... I think other if if he continues there right back, I mean I think other teams will really test Motherwell down the wings because you know Dundee United did it a bit, but I mean that was Luke Bolton was was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan Chalmers, you would be loath to criticise him too much, but you know he, he's twenty years old. He's not he's he didn't he's not played that many games, and so he he was quite quiet. But I think that was also down to the way Dundee United were set up. I mean, Lewis Apre played up front because um, obviously Shankland was out, and uh, Nicky Clark came off the bench with um, you know just uh, about fifteen minutes to go. But uh, Apre was was so isolated a lot of the time. Um, but Dundee United's plan for a lot of whenever Motherwell had the ball was just to sit off the centre centre backs. They didn't do the pressing until they they reached the halfway line. Uh, yeah, so, so moving on to moving on to Dundee United, I think we've we've, we've criticised Motherwell enough. I mean, the, <laughs> the, 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 to give Motherwell due, Robinson has over his time at Motherwell shown his capability of being able to switch it and when realising when things aren't working, he's able to kind of rip it up and start again and make yeah. it work from there. So I think the first two games are certainly a wake-up call for Motherwell. As for Dunn United, I think they will be pretty happy with their first two uh, first two games in terms of their you, points. You, if you, yeah, if you were them, you'd take four points. But the, I think the... the Hindsight, you'd concern, yeah, yeah. The, the concern you would have if you'd done United fan is you, um, you're not sure how much that is deserved. You know, like you, I don't know. It just, it, it just a bit odd. Uh, you know that you didn't. You only got a point uh, against a ten man St. Johnson for most of the second half, and then you got. A, aside from the goal, Dundee United didn't really give that many opportunities. Like it was a very low uh, low chances like mm. you know both Seagrace and, and Carson really didn't have a great deal to do 
through most most of the game, and even the goal that Dundee United scored was a silly goal to lose if you're from a Motherwell perspective. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there is a question mark over about uh, goals. Obviously, Shanklin didn't play, so there's that issue. But also the creativity issue. You mentioned the two wingers, but as a whole, in terms of Dundee United structure, I actually quite. Quite enjoyed watching them. They were it was clear you knew you knew how they were set up. It's like Motherwell, there was question marks over the Livingston, for example. You had no idea, but with, with <laughs> just with an Dund- absolute shambles. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but with Dundee United, you know what their game game plan is. You know what their structure was. I like the balance in midfield. Okay, like you said, the Apri, I think he did a decent job as a uh, as, as a lone striker. But with Harks, uh, Harks, I really like Harks. Yes, I really like, so I was going really to say, look of him. So you've got Butcher who is just a spoiler. He's just going yeah. to spoil things. He's useful. Um, Pollitt has, has his positives. I think he's a centre midfielder, but Harks is, Harks is the gem of that midfield. Yeah, I really um, I really hope that he pushes on this season. I mm-hmm. think he, he was playing on the right, um, right on Saturday, but I, I think... Uh, <laughs> He was playing with. He didn't look like he was playing with fear, if you know what I mean. Which is, which is not what you could say about a lot of players on the bar. He was at least trying to uh, trying to do something. I thought Dundee United. Um, what what will be uh, you know happy with if you're a Dundee United fan is is that they defend as a team, they defend as a unit. Like mm-hmm. they they were they're very um, compact and you know, didn't allow Motherwell any chance to create anything. Like they were well, very well drilled and organised and I think that bodes well in comparison to, well, as, as, as I've mentioned, a few other teams at the moment who just do not look organised when they're not in possession of the ball. There was an issue I had with, maybe not, not an issue, a concern I had for Dunyan their back line. Connolly and Reynolds didn't seem to be Premiership centre-backs to me. But then again, we've seen some centre-backs in the Premiership and still survive. You just have to look at Hamlin uh, Hackies yeah. over, over the years. That you don't have to be <laughs> the, the best best centre-backs, but they did look they did look solid. And obviously, Mellon's brought in Ryan Edwards, you know, from down south. But it was the full-backs. Liam Smith, uh, so Liam Smith at Hearts, I wasn't a massive fan, but... By all accounts, since he's went down the championship, he's just had rave reviews and probably been the best fullback in the championship. Jamie Robson, he has had uh, unbelievably. Uh, we're now talking about as a Premiership player because yeah. So yeah. it was it's, his career's really a really weird one because when he first broke through, he thought Dun United have a real talent here, and, and then, then he there thought, was obviously oh, this boy's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, there were some incidents off field, and it seems like that had an impact on his on field performances, and he kind of just feared for the stretch of trajectory of his career. But again, he was one of the star performers, uh, star performers against uh, Motherwell. Really like him in the fact that he's he's really committed. He knows he knows that he knows that position. Because you compare him to yeah. Grimshaw. Grimshaw, perfect. He's, he's committed. You but you can tell how you could you could easily see which one's the fullback and which one's mm-hmm. the midfielder playing out of position. Adapt, yeah, yeah. I I think what will be of a huge relief to Dundee United uh, fans uh, fans and players is the fact that they won without Shankland. Like, I think oh, that yeah. w- like, the, there is a, a psychological element to that because I think there ha- they have been, uh, in some some places, kind of written off as Shankland plus 10, mm-hmm. really. Um, and the fact that they're, okay, again, it's a not particularly impressive Motherwell team, but the fact that they've gone away and won, uh, despite the fact that the goal, like I said, the goal, the goal was cheap as anything. Um, you know, you're letting Mark Reynolds score. Um, 
uh, you know, is is doesn't really matter in the, in the long run because you've you've demonstrated, yeah, we can we there's not a uh, fear now that if Shanklin is sold that they can't win because they've, they've proven that they can. Going forward, I think so. so going forward for Motherwell, I think it's just a case of Robinson finding a settled eleven, kind of finding just finding what he wants to do. So he's, he's yeah. had a lot of time, and it, it seems like uh, maybe this lockdown he's he's kind of overthought things. Whereas for for Mellon, you can see that this is a new manager come in. He's just because of the nature of how Dundee United preparations were kind of impacted and going into the season that he's, he's come in and obviously just wanting to build a solid foundation I do think the fact that the transfer window is open until October will benefit United because it's clear that they do still need a, like, a few premiership quality bodies which will add a bit more kind of verve or attacking intent to the, in their team Yeah definitely I think that I think that's even even when you just look at just look at the 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 bench, it's mm-hmm. just is pretty lightweight, and you just you worry about that if you were suddenly on a losing run or uh, you know, you're not or just uh, a tough run of fixtures. Because I think that uh, yeah, it's quite an inexperienced team that could take a hiding once once or twice. Um, and I think that's what sets up tomorrow's night tomorrow night's game against Hibs really well. I think because I think we're going to because I, uh, I think we've discussed. I think it's. Difficult to see how good Hibs are at the moment, <laughs> to a degree, um, and so I'm, I think tomorrow night will give a uh, an indication of where kind of both teams are. Yeah, it, it is a weird one about seeing how good teams are, how just how bad some teams are, and as a league, just again going back to how preparations were impacted, how the transfer window has um, altered, that is going to take a while to maybe not settle, yeah, probably it might take a while to settle down or to to really get an idea of issues in teams or who's going to be star players. But I think Dunyan against Hibs is, is one of those games which it's going to help you make make decisions, see which way teams are going to go. If Hibs go, they go, up, go up to Tannis. It is at Tannis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It got they got up to Tannadice and wipe the wipe the floor of Dunyan. You think right? Okay, Hibs are definitely that's state, going to be, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean that's that's the, that's the the strange thing is you know, Hibs win there and then they've got Motherwell this Saturday. You know, if they win both those games, they're suddenly like, well, it's four from four, looking really great. And then you realise they've a Kilmarnock aside, they've not. There's a potential they've not played anyone that that good yet, mm. if that makes sense. Um, which is quite interesting. I think that's, you know, that, like, that's the thing. Again, we were thinking we were thinking that Motherwell would. I think most, I well, maybe not most Motherwell, but a lot of Motherwell fans are probably sitting there thinking, uh, Ross County away, then United at home, six points for mm. us, uh, and now they're sitting there with none. That, that's the thing you so you you're, you're saying about Hibs maybe not playing anyone other than Kelly that good. I, I, I'm not sure how many, good, how many good teams are in the league or how many bad teams. It's, it's, it's very strange and uh, it's, it's something I'm looking forward to because the games are coming thick and fast in, yeah. in August. Um, look, really looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. But thank you very much for joining me to complete the, the trio and the five games, Duncan. 
That was a pleasure. And I'd just like to say a shout-out. Actually, that Dundee United away shirt is really nice on a football pitch. I was thinking exactly the same when I was watching it back, uh, when I was watching the game uh, before coming on. I was thinking, it's actually pretty... It's, it's actually yeah, in right. a photo studio, it didn't look that great. And no. then suddenly I was like, actually, that's that's not too bad. Yeah, I think... I mean, the, I'd, look, I'd, I'd look ridiculous wearing, I'd look ridiculous wearing any football shirt, but uh, yeah. What, one thing I do now uh, when looking at shirts, I think what retro value you have, as in in 10, 15 years, 20 years' time, are, are they going to be ones Is that like, going to be worse? Yeah. Yeah, or like fans are going to look back on like, oh, that's a cracker. And I think that Dun United away top is one of those one of those kits. I think, I think you're right. Lovely. Thank you, Duncan. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.